Omai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. Science and religion, do they always have to be kept apart? Well, the God and the Big Bang project says very definitely no, and we'll hear why people are saying that in today's programme. But as usual, we'll start with some music. And as we're in the season of Harvest Thanksgiving, and we'll be talking soon about creation, I thought this from John Rutter and the Cambridge Singers would be appropriate. For the beauty of the earth... Oh 
for the beauty of the earth. Music by John Rutter, brought to us there by the Cambridge Singers. God and the Big Bang is a project that runs interactive workshop days with young people aged between 10 and 18, giving them the opportunity to discover, discuss and debate the compatibility of science and faith. The events equip young people with the tools that they need in order to form their own opinions and engage in rational, well-reasoned and thought-provoking discussion about the part that science plays in God's world. The talks and workshops are captivating and stimulating, showcasing both cutting-edge science and personal and honest reflections about the intersection between science and faith. And three members of the God and the Big Bang project have been on the island this week, working in a few of the island's schools and with some youth groups. Between sessions, I caught up with them to find out more. Firstly, I spoke with Michael Harvey, who describes himself simply as an itinerant speaker. I first met and interviewed Michael some years ago, and I'd describe him as a man of ideas and actions, all rooted in his very deep Christian faith. Around 20 years ago, Michael had the idea of Back to Church Sunday, encouraging churches to develop what he describes as a culture of invitation but not limited to just inviting people to come once to a church building, but inviting people to belong to a wider family, united by love for and faith in God. Now Michael leads the team talking to young people about science and faith. It's lovely to welcome you back to the island, Michael. Oh, well, it's great to be back on the island, really, Judith, and great to be back uh, talking to you. Around about 10 years ago, I was asked to demonstrate the compatibility of science and faith. And having no science background whatsoever, I thought, yeah, I'll have a go at that. And 10 years later, we have visited in the past 12 months, probably around about 65, 70 schools and probably see about four or 5,000 students. And we take scientists of faith into schools. And, and so we're over here on the Isle of Man just to actually kind of continue that work and go and visit some schools and talk to some teachers about science and faith. Before you started this, Michael, did you have to devise a programme that you could deliver? Well, good question. I kind of found a schoolmaster in Kent who'd had a day for his sixth form called God and the Big Bang, which is what the title of the project is. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, hmm, that's really interesting because it had some uh, scientists of faith and they were spending a day with the sixth form and they were just talking about uh, where the overlap might be between science and faith. And I thought that's really transferable. And and so I asked the schoolmaster, going to do anything with this? And the, the schoolmaster wasn't going to do anything with it. And so I took the the title and the idea and and then started to actually kind of populate it over the 10 years or so now with many scientists of the Christian faith who've come into schools where we talk about this subject. For uh, many scientists, you know, if you look back at kind of the Nobel Prize winners in the area of science, you will find a very, very rich heritage of Christians who are scientists who've won Nobel Prizes for science. I mean, if you even think of the kind of the, uh, the concept of the Big Bang, the theory of the Big Bang, which some people say, oh, well, that must prove that, you know, there's a conflict between God and science. Well, the founder of the Big Bang theory was a 
a Catholic priest who was an astronomer called George Lemaitre. And so there's a, there's a rich history. You know, th the founders of modern science, they were mostly all Christians. And so in this conflict narrative, yes, there are things in science where you think, well, yeah, at this moment in time, you know, maybe, you know, there are areas that we need to kind of really think about. But mostly the new th area of uh, the theory of the Big Bang brings back that there was a beginning. And you see, if there was a beginning, was there a beginner? Uh, because before that point, science thought that there wasn't a beginning. Now, you know, in the beginning, science has now kind of found that there was a beginning. Over the years, I, I've had the privilege of interviewing one or two eminent scientists who are also, in some cases, actually ordained priests as well. And probably the simplest explanation that I was given in a sentence was that science tells me how, God tells me why. Well, that's absolutely c correct. And I would say that the why is a higher order question than the how. I mean, so you, we know how many years the universe has been going, how many years it's taken for human life to evolve. How is that going to change your life? But the why, that is a kind of a serious question because essentially that leads to kind of questions of purpose and why am I here? Why do I exist? And I always say to the children that actually if you examine your thumb, you can do a bit of science and faith by examining your thumb because your thumb, biology tells you, has a unique thumbprint. You know, it's an amazing thing. There is a unique thumbprint. You're the only person that's ever, ever had that thumbprint. Now, that's, that's kind of weird, but marvellous as well. Well, w what does Christianity tell you? It says that you, you, are, you are unique and made in the image of God. Well, that's so interesting. So biology is telling you you have a unique thumbprint. So I want to ask, what are you here to do? There's something unique about you. Yes, made in the image of God, but each of us has a different purpose. And so by bringing these two why and how questions together, you get a much kind of deeper view of life. I'm going to talk to your two colleagues about the, the detail of the programme. Can we just talk a minute, Michael, what you think about the way religion belief is going? Because during the worst times of COVID, research proved that one in four people were searching for the word prayer, Googling the word prayer. What does that say for? I know that was a dark time, but nevertheless, that says something about us, doesn't it? Well, it certainly does. And my kind of finding still, as I kind of go around the world, talking about the importance of connecting with people outside of the the church family my findings are that they're very open to talking about kind of big questions about life and purpose and what the pandemic did of course was to take certainty away and as soon as you take certainty away you're in the realm of uncertainty you're in the realm of discomfort and of course that is where god is calling us to he's calling us to uncertainty and discomfort. That's why we need faith. Faith is just this beautiful gift that we're given to be able to kind of step into that. And so, and so, you know, what the pandemic did was to actually kind of reveal that actually life isn't that certain, you know, that life isn't that sure, and started to actually kind of get people to question, well, you know, I've only got one life, therefore, is there something else out there? So it's no wonder people started 
searching for what life was really all about. Do you think we've somehow, over the maybe over several generations, blurred the lines between looking for a bigger meaning and looking at faith as going to church on a Sunday, something we do for an hour, and doesn't really connect with the things that are deepest in us? Yeah, it just reminds me of um, my my son's father-in-law who said to me, uh, well, you go to church for us. You go to church for me. You know, I don't like singing. It's as if we've given this impression, you know, kind of that why would God want our worship if we're not actually hearing the nudge and call of God in our lives? So we have turned Christianity, unfortunately, into attendance. We tend to kind of uh, worship good things. So we worship worship. We worship prayer. We worship the Gospels. We, there's all sorts of things we worship. When all of those things are there as tools for us to have a relationship with God. And I think all God has ever wanted is to walk with us. And so the Christian faith was, is there to actually kind of give us a rich life where we take steps of faith into uncertainty. And when you take a step of faith into uncertainty, you find that you're held. You're held by something. And I think you can discover God in that way. You might not know who it is at that point, but you can have an experience of God as you take a step of faith into uncertainty. Do you think we've lost some of the the joy, the excitement, the amazement that we detect in the Gospels? When we read the Gospel accounts of Jesus healing, performing miracles, we sense the awe, the excitement, the amazement. Do you think we've lost some of that? Listen, if Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday and forever, then that must be true. we, We say this all the time. And yet we're a church that's either in the past or in the future. You know, in the past, we put the Gospels, those stories, on a pedestal. Or we kind of go down the prayer route and say, oh, God, save this nation, save this land. We're in the future. The thing that's missing is the present, the present moment. So we in our generation have to experience Jesus living in our world today. And that's where the excitement can come in. I have a very, very high regard for the Bible stories. Very, very high. Very high regard for prayer. However, the thing our generation has got is the present. Can we meet God in the present moment? That's the challenge for our generation. Do you see those opportunities when you're with young people, when you're with children? Yeah, I think, I think Christianity will be rediscovered. I think we've gone through um, a number of generations that have had to attend church. And so there's this kind of this thing. They were made to go. They were made to go to church. And that's what Christianity became. You know, you just had to go. There was no other option. There was no free will. You had to kind of go. And that's been passed down the generational line. But when you start to open big questions with the, with the youngsters of today, they're big observers of life already. God is already at work in their lives. They're curious, not all of them, but many of them are curious and they've got big imaginations as well. And I think that's the hope for the future, that Christianity will be rediscovered and we might have to go through some pain as the mainline churches in the meantime but it will be rediscovered. 
but Christianity as a movement, not as a monument. So it's a movement, it's about walking with God. Michael Harvey talking about faith and the God and the Big Bang project that he leads. On his visit to some schools and youth groups on the island this week, he was joined by Francesca Blondell and Sarah Mooring. Francesca is a Christian and a physicist at Durham University. Which bit of the programme do you deliver, Francesca? On the Isle of Man these few days in primary schools, I've been looking at the Big Bang. I'm a physicist, so looking at the Big Bang and the creation story together. Many different scientists and many different Christians might come at this from different angles, but the angle I take with the children is presenting the story in in Genesis, the story of creation that the Bible gives us, emphasising that it says God created and looking at God as creator, and then taking the theory of the Big Bang proposed by a Catholic priest and marrying the two and saying... Perhaps this is how God created, and how beautiful is that? I believe that God used intelligent design that scientists can discover to create, and that Genesis shows us that God created the world, but how is a bit more of an open question. For me, things like the James Webb Telescope, the images that we're seeing now, some of them are so incredibly beautiful. For many years, we've also had the images from the Hubble Space Telescope, And sometimes these images can become normal to us. When we look at them for too long, we set them as screensavers on our laptop. We stop thinking about what it actually is that's being pictured. But when you think about the scale that are in these images, for me, it prompts that there must be more. The universe is just so beautiful. And for me, that leads to the idea of an intelligent creator behind it all. What kind of questions do the children ask you? All sorts, anything from things about dinosaurs, things about unicorns, to why are we here? Why did God create humans? Really speaking to their deepest desires and their deepest questions. Is this programme well received in schools? Yeah, for sure. And although some of the responses across the ages are very different, when you dig fundamentally, I think what they're asking is very similar. I think a lot of young people are just searching for identity and don't know where to find it. And I think it's a really beautiful position to come in as a scientist and a person of faith because science isn't always seen as very cool in school and neither is religion. 
but to be able to come in as someone not that far from their age myself and you know be able to say confidently that I do both these things I think can sometimes help the children realize that they don't have to be like everyone else if they've got an interest they can pursue it and see where it goes. Sarah Mooring is the school's development officer for the God and the Big Bang project. She has a degree in pharmaceutical science and a master's in science communication from Imperial College London and clearly loves the mysteries that both science and faith have to offer. I deliver a session that's looking at the story of creation as well, but also looking at the theory of evolution um, and how life came to be in existence and how life has come to be as we know it today. I guess you get lots of dinosaur questions then. Absolutely. And I always rely on there being one dinosaur expert, at least in the room, um, who knows more than I do about all of those different types of dinosaurs. What's the story that you tell or an illustration that you give that you feel has the most impact on children? Let's look at primary. Well, the moment where you see their eyes light up is when we compare the Genesis story of creation to the story of the hungry caterpillar which they all know, which in a similar way to the story um, in Genesis is written about seven days, written very poetically and has some really important messages that are repeated again and again. So we remember them. So the very hungry caterpillar is a caterpillar who is hungry. And on day one, he eats an apple. Day two, he eats two pears. I can't remember the rest of the days, um, but at the end, it turns into a butterfly after building a cocoon and being very full of lots of food. And so comparing that to that story where we hear about God creating and God thinking that all of those different parts of creation is really good is a way to show them, well, that's probably the really important part of the story that we should remember. When you get to secondary age children, when you're talking to young teenagers, how do they feel about it? I think it's, again, looking at the the purpose of the text. So when we really look at that story in Genesis, and particularly if we were able to look at it in Hebrew, which it was written in, we would see the poetic nature of it. And so reading it from that point of view, not reading it as a science textbook or a history textbook that's been written factually, but as this poetry, which still has some very deep truths behind it. So looking, where's there maybe some metaphor being used here? And how can we find the deep truth within that metaphor whilst maybe not reading it as literally as we might do if it was another type of text and even if we just slightly changed the the language that we might use um, how the, some of those words might have been translated so we could look at the the stages or phases of creation rather than maybe the word day which we obviously associate with 24 hours if we then use that to look at some of the timelines of the origins of the universe, the origins of life, it seems to match up pretty well when we look at it at as much longer stretches of time rather than just days. Is this part of the curriculum or do you have to encourage schools to add this to their curriculum? So they will definitely learn about evolution in their science lessons. They'll learn about the creation story in their RE lessons. They don't so often bring the two together and work out how we might look at some of these big questions that start to come up when we learn about two different things that maybe seem like they can't agree with each other. So it's yeah, our job to do a bit of digging into them um, and see how we can bring the two together. We always say the, the most important voices in the work that we do is the student voices. And so really what we're trying to do is pull out of them what it is that they think, pose some questions to them, challenge them to, to question their own thinking and their own opinions and work out what it is that they do think with the tools that we're able to give them.
More music there from John Rutter and the Cambridge Singers. That was the Prayer of St. Patrick. And my thanks to my guests this week, Michael Harvey, Francesca Blondell and Sarah Mooring. And if you'd like to know more about God and the Big Bang, there's a website. It's the initial letters of the project name, so it's gatbb.co.uk. And here on the island, the project is coordinated by the Scripture Union Ministries Trust. The team leader is Sue Yardy, and you can give her a call on 335 203. 335 203. And now it's notice board time, and we start with this evening when the Mariners' Choir will be in Bagarrow Chapel for a service starting at half past six, at which Gareth Moore will preach, and the soloist will be Joanne Cortine. As usual, this will be followed by light refreshments with a warm welcome for all. Tomorrow, Monday the 2nd, it's another Super Monday in the lounge at Colby Methodist Church. Pop in between noon and half past one and share a soup lunch. There's no charge, although donations towards expenses would be appreciated. On Tuesday the 3rd, Port St Mary Methodist Church have their Harvest Coffee Morning open from 10 till half past 11. Looking now to next Saturday, it's the usual monthly Glen May Craft Market at Glen May Chapel and Community Centre. Open from 11am to 4pm for the sale of homemade produce and jewellery, artwork, knitwear, crafts and gifts, all by local artists. Entry is free and there are homemade light lunches on sale with those very popular bacon baps, tea, coffee and cake. And if you've never been before, just head for Glen May and look out for the bunting and the banners. Also, next Saturday, the 7th, there's a fundraising concert by the very talented group, The Shimmers. It's in Castletown Methodist Church next Saturday evening at half past seven. And admission, payable on the door, is just £5 for adults and £1 for children. And that includes refreshments. And in case you were wondering, the Shimmers are Chris Sullivan, Jane Corkill, Ruth Tickle, Paul Costain and Naomi Cole. And looking ahead to next Sunday, the 8th, the Cool Methodist Chapel have their Harvest Festival starting next Sunday evening with a service at half past six where the preacher will be Reverend Dr Janet Corlett. The following evening, Monday the 9th, there'll be a hot pot supper in the Cool Hall, followed by a quiz. The evening begins at 7 o'clock and the cost is £10. Everyone is welcome and the Cool Chapel is very easy to find on Cool Road, close to its junction with Vicarage Road, on the edge of the Isle of Man Business Park. And also next Sunday, Balagheri Chapel have their harvest service starting next Sunday afternoon at half past two. The following evening, Monday the 9th at 7 o'clock, Balagheri will have their usual short service, followed by a sale of all the harvest produce that's been donated. And that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back later in our virtual lounge tonight at 9 with a mix of easy listening music, your requests and your dedications. And I'd love you to join me if you can. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. Music.